Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. Triumphant Psalm for Fear. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and just open them right into the middle of your Bible. You'll probably land in the book of Psalms and then find your way to Psalm 91. I want you to think about this question, how does fear show up in your life? One summer night during a severe thunderstorm, a mother was tucking her small son into bed and she was about to turn the light off when he asked, well, would you stay with me during the night? And she smiled and gave him a warm hug and said, well, I can't, I, I have to sleep in daddy's room. A long silence followed and the shaky voice came back, oh, the big sissy. How does fear show up in your life? There was two explorers were on a jungle safari when a, suddenly a ferocious lion jumped in front of them and the first uh, explorer there said, keep calm. Remember what we read in that book on wild animals. If you stand perfectly still, they will not harm you. And the companion said, you've read the book and I've read the book. Has the lion read the book? How does fear show up in your life? Here's a few common fears that are listed. Arachnophobia, how many of you know what this one is? Fear of spiders, legitimate fear, wouldn't you say? Uh, The next one is is right there for you to look at. Uh, Ophidiophobia, anybody know what this one is? This is the fear of snakes. You didn't know what it was, but how many of you can understand it, right? Uh, the, second, the third one there is acrophobia. This is the fear of heights. It's, it's presumed that 5% of the general population suffer from this phobia. The uh, next one is agoraphobia. This is the fear of open or crowded spaces. People with this fear often won't leave their home. There's claustrophobia. This is the fear of small spaces like elevators or small rooms or enclosed spaces. So there's some lesser known fears that I've listed as well. Uh, this, one, this first one is porphyrophobia. Porphyrophobia. This is the fear of the color purple. Yeah, it's a legitimate fear apparently. Uh, that second one on the right-hand column is Kytophobia, this is the fear of hairy people. No commentary from me, I'm just (laughs) stating what these are. Levophobia is the fear of objects on the left side of your body. So, dextrophobia is the fear of the right, objects on the right side. Um, This fourth one is uh, pelodophobia, the fear of baldness and bald people. I don't know how to help you there. Uh, and this last one, phobia, phobophobia, is simply the fear of being afraid. So it's not my intention to um, speak light of our fears, but oftentimes through laughter or a moment of levity, we're able to consider and embrace the weight of our fears. So how about you? If we were taking the time to think and reflect, what would come to 
mind for you, what would be on the list? How does fear show up? Today is Psalm 91. Let's read Psalm 91. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, Whoever dwells in the shadow of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, a ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked." Now, if you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. They will lift you up in, your, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will deliver him and honor him. I'm sorry. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 91. Psalm 91 doesn't have a title or a superscript in your Bibles. It doesn't give us the author because of its proximity to Psalms 90. And the fact there's a lot of imagery being portrayed that would be familiar to the nation of Israel. It is assumed by most theologians, theologians that Moses is the author. And perhaps we don't know when it is written or who it was written by because it addresses some topics that are easily accessible to all of us. Because fear is a universal reality. We may not all experience it at the same time. We may not all experience it together. But the psalm begins with the assurance of God's protection. So if you're taking notes or if you're at home, you can follow along the Bible app as well. The notes are there. Psalms 91 begins with this assurance of God's protection. Look at verse 1 and 2 with me this morning again. In fact, let's read these two verses together. Ready, begin. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord... He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Those who abide or dwell under the shadow of the Almighty enjoy God's protection, His comfort, His care. Uh, Psalms 90, the psalm right before the, the author is Moses, and he uses the same language. He says this, uh, God is our dwelling place. He's our habitation. He's the place where we live. Now, legally in the United States, you can have many places of residence, but you can only have one domicile. 
In other words, you can have a vacation home in, uh, in Sun River, and you can have a vacation home in Cancun. You can have a vacation home in many different places, but you must declare one as your domicile. You must declare one where you permanently reside. And what the psalmist is asking us to consider is this. When you choose God as your dwelling place, as your domicile, as your residence, you now abide under his shadow. It's a choice we make to make God our dwelling place. It doesn't happen by accident. Accident, you don't stumble into God's neighborhood. You have to say, I choose God. I choose him as my dwelling place. The image continues as we think about resting in the shadow of the Almighty. But this is God's insurance that God is the dwelling place of his people. This psalmist for Psalm 91 seems to accept that great idea and then speaks of the most central chamber of the dwelling place. And he refers to it as this secret place, this, uh, this, this dwelling place, and it describes its complete security. He's not talking about something mystical maybe or something super spiritual that is unattainable, but he speaks to the intimacy that we have in being near to God. He furthers this imagery by, by describing it as being in God's shadow, the shadow of the Almighty. Being in someone's shadow means you're near them, right? You think about what we would say to a small child who can't leave their mother or their daddy's side. And wherever they go in the house or wherever they go in the yard, and maybe the dad is going out to mow the yard, and so the young child wants to get their, their, their pretend lawnmower and lawn right bes- uh, mow right beside them, what do we, how would we describe that child? Oh, you have a little shadow, someone who's near you, someone who won't leave your side. And what God is uh, being described here is this. Uh, when we are in the, when we're so near to God that we're in His shadow, we've made Him our dwelling place. Um, are you in His shadow? Or are you just outside His shadow this morning? Where are you in relationship to God? Where are you in relationship to the proximity that the psalmist is painting? You see, in our nearness, we recognize that God is our refuge and our fortress, and then we identify Him as our person that we trust. And ultimately, as we live intimately with God, we understand the greatness of his protection. So, how does fear show up for you this morning? The psalmist continues and he described how God protects and comforts and cares for his people. Beginning in verse 3, we read this. He says this, Surely he will save you from the fowler snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you. With his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Some strong words there. We're going to break this down and discuss how does God protect, comfort, and care for us. Well, first of all, he delivers us from the devil's traps. You see, the enemy of our soul would trap God's people as a fowler would snare birds. So the fowler works in secret. He changes his traps and his methods. He entices with pleasure. He does all of this in order to trap God's people. We could describe this as temptations, and all of us face different kinds of temptations. Many of us face similar temptations, but these temptations are used by the enemy of our soul to distract us from where do we live? Where is our dwelling place? 
And every snare, every temptation that the enemy of our soul, the devil would use is to pull you from your nearness to God. And so when there is a temptation that pulls you from the nearness of God, eventually what you find yourself doing is as you embrace the temptation, as you fall into the devil's snares, what you end up realizing is, oh, I used to be there and now I'm not. I used to be under the shadow of the Almighty and now I'm not. And what you find yourself being is you're vulnerable because you're not protected anymore. So he delivers us from the devil's snare. He also becomes our place in trust our place of trust and safety in moments of disease and affliction. Now this gets a little tricky and this gets a little hard to understand for me. How many of you have been sick before and you've prayed to be healed? And God doesn't always answer those prayers, does he? We all have loved ones we can think of, of who, who, have, who have contracted a disease or an illness. And try as we may and pray as we might have, God didn't heal them. And so to be clear, the psalmist inspired by the Holy Spirit did not intend this as an absolute promise that every believer would be delivered from every snare or every pestilence. This does not mean that those who trust God never die from disease or suffer from an enemy's plot. Instead, the idea is this, that in those moments of disease or affliction or snare or temptation, we have a place, a person we can trust. How does God protect us and care for us where he becomes our place of trust, when he becomes our dwelling place? The psalmist goes on to paint us this uh, familiar picture we've looked at. He covers us with his feathers. You see, in this metaphor, God is represented as a bird sheltering young chicks under his wings, and the mother eagle spreads her wings over her, her, her baby eagles. What are those called? Eaglets. And it's this beautiful symbol of this union between strength and gentleness. This idea that God is going to cover and protect, but also be gentle, and this is how God protects and cares for us. The psalmist goes on and he calls God our shield. The picture of God's care combines the protectiveness of this parent bird with this unyielding strength of armor. The Hebrew word here signifies something that is wrapped around a person for our protection. So we think about a shield or an armor or a, a rampart, a fortress. And all of these is God's way of protecting and caring for us until we reach this, this climax in verse 5 that simply says this, you will not fear, you shall not be afraid because of all these ways God has protected you, because of all these ways he's caring and he's comforting you. Your fear is a reality, but you will not fear for long. Look at verse 5. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday a thousand may fall at your side ten thousand at your right hand and it will not come near you you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked you see having God as a shelter and refuge gives strength and courage to the people of God and so the psalmist describes all kinds of destruction and here's the thing we don't get a notification saying destruction is coming this week Tuesday around 3 o'clock, mark your calendars, 
your world will come apart. It could happen at noonday. It could happen in the middle of the night. It could happen at any time. And the psalmist is painting this picture. No matter when it comes in your life, you will not have to live there. You see what he's saying? Fear becomes a reality, but you don't have to live there because you're in the shadow of the Almighty. You have chosen God as your dwelling place. So again, how does fear show up for you? You see, in contrast to the protection of his chosen, God has also appointed a reward and a punishment for the wicked. Look at the end of verse 8. It says, all these things might happen. Destruction might come. A thousand may fall at your side. All of these things might happen. But verse 8, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. God's people are encouraged to look at this truth and consider it carefully. What's interesting here is in the middle of this fear, we're not called to focus on the punishment of those that would do us harm or evil, but our attention rests on he who is our protector. You see, the, the, fear, the end of fear shouldn't be revenge, but rather our faith being resolved. Psalm 91 has brought comfort and peace to many of us. Um, Melissa Thompson was messaging me this week and described how this psalm was particularly crucial for her and her family who had served in the military. I thought it was fitting that today is uh, the 77th anniversary of D-Day, World War II, where the Allied invasion of Normandy and Operation Overlord occurred. During World War II, a military governor met with General Patton in Sicily, and he asked the question, uh, he asked a question, and he said, describe your courage and your bravery over the years. And the general replied, I'm not a brave man. The truth is I'm not utter craven coward. I have never been able to be within the sound of gunshot or in sight of battle in my whole life that I wasn't so scared that I had sweat in the palms of my hands. Years later, when he penned his autobiography, he contained this sentence, this statement, uh, when he reflected on bravery and courage. He said this, I learned very early in my life never to take counsel of my fears. He learned very early never to take counsel. In other words, uh, fear has a voice in our life. And if we are not careful when we listen to the voice of fear, what ends up happening is we become distracted from our dwelling place, our domicile, and all of a sudden we're living somewhere, we're experiencing things we wouldn't normally do under the shadow of the Almighty. The information fear is giving you, you have a choice in the matter whether you take counsel from the fears. And in moments of fears, do you let your fear counsel you or do you let the Spirit of God counsel you? You see, this victory that we have over fear is a choice that we make. I want us to focus here on verse 9 and verse 10 here uh, where the psalmist says this, If you say, the Lord is my refuge. Let's all say those Five words. The Lord is my refuge. Ready, begin. The Lord is my refuge. We've identified where our faith is, where our trust is. Say those words again. The Lord is my refuge. We say it's the Lord is, not was, not is going to be, but in this moment today, Sunday, June 6th, right now at whatever time it is, the Lord is. Say it with me. The Lord is my refuge. He uses that word my. It's personal. It's for you. 
It's not enough for it to be your spouse's refuge. It's not enough for it to be your pastor's refuge. He needs to be your refuge. Say those words again. The Lord is my refuge. And then look what else he says. And you make the most high your dwelling. So not only is it a personal reminder to settle your mind, but it's also a willful decision to stay. I am making God my dwelling. This is where I live. I don't vacation here. I don't come here in God's presence once in a while. This is where I live. I may have to go to work, but I live here. I may have to parent, but I live right here. God is my dwelling. He's my refuge. Look at the promise here. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Then, I'm sorry, they will lift you up in their hands so they will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. You see, the principles and the promises here are directed to those who choose to make God his dwelling, your dwelling. It's a choice we make. We don't have to do any of the fighting of our own. Victory is not a battle we face. Victory is a choice we make and to say, God is my dwelling place. You get to choose. And choosing him as our dwelling place becomes our source for life and our satisfaction. It is the happy expectation of the psalmist and a general expression of God's protection, comfort, and care when we choose him. Now I put this in our notes. There's a divine and heavenly protection promised in his shadow we cannot fully understand. And I really don't understand it, but I'm going to try to piece together what it means that the angels will take charge over you. You see, the promise in verse 11 and 12 was quoted and twisted by Satan in, uh, in the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4. Satan tempted Jesus to create an artificial crisis by throwing himself from a high point on the temple and then saving himself. And Satan quoted Psalm 91 in order to grant Jesus this promise of protection if Jesus were to do this. And Matthew 4 records that Satan's quotation of Psalms 91 is a pattern of how he twists Scripture. Verse 11 and 12, he falsely quotes because the devil left out the words to guard you in all your ways. And this was to test God in this way. Not To test God in this way was not Jesus' way. It was not the way of the Savior. God had never promised nor ever given any protection of angels in our sinful and forbidden ways. In selfish ways. So Satan's attempt in Matthew 4 helps us better put Psalm 91 in context. God does not give absolute promises for every believer in every circumstance. But beautiful promises of God's protection, care, and comfort are specifically received and applied in the believer by the Holy Spirit. There is this divine protection. And I can't understand it. I can't tell you how it's going to... Look in your life, but I just know this. When we choose God as our dwelling place, we are in his shadow. And if we're in his shadow, we're under his protection. And part of that protection means this. Fear might be a reality, but you don't have to live there. You don't have to live in fear. 
because we live under the shadow of the Almighty. We come to the end of, verse, of Psalm 91 and we get to verse 14 and 15 and 16 and we see that God's promise and blessing over his people. If you're looking at the scripture, you'll notice that the voice changes from the psalmist to the voice of God. Look at verse 14. He says this, the, the, the voice has changed, now God is speaking. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him, I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Verse 16, with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. These last verses are set in the first person as God speaks promises and blessing over his people. And he speaks specifically over those who set their love upon him. It's been wonderfully noted that the last words of this psalm are not spoken by God's people, but they're spoken to God's people. You see, to set one's love upon God means to do it by a choice. He doesn't wait for the feeling of love to come, but simply chooses to think and act towards God in ways that express and build love. You see, our present culture thinks of love as something that happens to people, not something chosen. We think that love happens to people. We fall in love. Love overtakes us. Love is this emotion that happens, but to be clear, love is a choice that we make. And so the, the psalmist says, because, or God says, because you have chosen me, because you have set your love upon me, I will rescue you. It reminds us of that fact that love is indeed a choice. And this describes in part the love we should be giving unto God. All of that to say this. The place fear has in your life is directly related to your proximity to the Most High. The place fear has in your life is directly related to your proximity to the Most High. I want to picture that for you this morning with an illustration where fear shows up in your life is simply a direct relationship to how close you are to God. So most of us live life this way. We have a big box of fear. And we take this box and everywhere we go, we just keep putting things in this box. Because it's oversized luggage, isn't it? It can keep all of our fears. And so throughout the course of our day, throughout the course of our week, we keep putting fears in this box. And so the fear of, uh, the fear of our children not growing up, period, right? <laughs> that they just won't grow up. The fear that... Um, the fear that um, Well, you know the fears. The fear that the future just won't look like what we think it will. Uh, the fear that you might have for the state of our country. The fear that you might have for your spouse. The fear that you might have just for tomorrow. And we put it in this box, and we put it in this box, and because we carry this oversized box with us, uh, we just start carrying this box with us. So everywhere we go, we are shaped by the fears that we carry with us. 
And truth be known, we've made fear our dwelling place. And this is where we live. We live in the fear of our marriage falling apart. We live in the fear that our finances will fall apart. We live in the fear that our health will never get better. We live in the fear that et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what we do at a certain point of our life, and maybe it happens on a Sunday morning, maybe it happens somewhere else, but we realize that we have God in our life. And there's a moment of faith for most of us. There's a moment of faith that comes in our life where we say, you know what, God? I trust you. I love you. And I'm going to try this. I'm going to give you just a little bit of my fear. And we take one of our fears and we put it and we give it to God. And if you're like me, this is what we do. And nothing's happened, so we're going to take that, and we're going to, we're going to take, you got too much on your plate, God, and we take it back. You got a whole lot of people to deal with, and I got a whole lot of fear going on. And so we do this. And then we hear that verse that says, cast all of our cares on him, because he cares for us. And in our mind, it's so hard to comprehend because this is how we're thinking about it. We're thinking about putting our fear on God. And because that doesn't make sense to us, we don't leave it very, there very long. So we go and we take it back. And we live here, and we're here on Sundays. We live here, but we'll pray before our meal, because that's something you can handle. We live here, and all of a sudden, our fear has grown, because this is where we live. You know, the closer you get to something, the larger it becomes. If you, if you drive south, Libby and I are thinking about driving south in September to go see my folks, um, and there's this, there's this point right after, or might before or right after Medford, and you can just see a little bit of Mount Shasta on a clear day, right? And it's just this little, and if you're in the car with us, you're taking a picture. It doesn't matter how many times you've seen it, you're taking a picture because that moment is so beautiful when you get the little peak of Shasta, and we're still several hundred miles away. You get in the car and you keep going, you keep going. And then there's, there's, one, there's one bend when you get around the bend and then all of a sudden it opens up a little bit more. And we take another picture because all of a sudden it's bigger because we're getting closer. And then you get, you get into Northern California and then you get close and all of a sudden Shasta opens up and if you're lucky there's snow on top of it and it's just beautiful because the closer you got, the bigger it did. What the psalmist wants us to consider is this. Just what? What would our life look like if this is how we viewed life? That if we just lived here and we said, God, 
The Lord is my refuge. And I choose to dwell in the secret place of the Most High under the shadow of the Almighty. In fact, not only do I choose it, I'm just going to take this with me. And instead of, instead of letting my fears counsel me, all of a sudden I let the word of God counsel me. All of a sudden I let scripture counsel me. All of a sudden I let God have a bigger place in my life because I'm in his shadow. And wherever God is, I'm right next to him because I'm in his shadow. I'm just like the little boy who can't get too far from his dad because he knows there's protection and safety next to his dad, so he stays right next to his dad. And then we properly can see the place fear has in our life. And this is what happens. Then we take the verse of 1 Peter 5, 7 that says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And we take our fears, we put them right there. And what ends up happening is the fear is a reality. I'm not going to dismiss the fear. The fear is a reality in our life, but against the perspective of who God is in our life now, we recognize how big our God is. And then when we, when we take that scripture from Ephesians we studied a few weeks ago that recognizes that uh, we are in Christ, remember that? When we discuss the fact that we are in Christ, when God sees us, well, when, when God sees the Son, he sees us because we're in Christ. And we say, well, we're going to put all of our fears, we're going to cast all of our fear in him. All of a sudden, God is big enough. It almost worked. God is big enough for our fear. And I'm telling you, you get to choose if you go through life this way or you get to go life this way. The fear you have in your life is directly related to your proximity to God. So here's the thing. If Sunday is as close to God as you get, your fears are going to speak pretty loudly. It needs to be a daily walk with him that says every single day, the Lord is my refuge. Psalm 91 verse 1, Lord, today I choose to make you my dwelling place, and I'm going to dwell in the shadow of the Almighty because I want to be protected. We've been getting ready to uh, foster kids. We'll hopefully be certified in a couple of weeks. And one of the things they will do is they'll, they will check out where you live. <laughs> they will check out where you live. And they will make sure everything's in order. They'll make sure all the rooms have windows that you can escape from. They'll make sure that all your power tools are put away. They'll make sure that all of the chemicals are in a spot where kids can't reach them. They'll also make sure your smoke alarms are working. <clears throat> smoke alarms are just annoying, aren't they? Until you need one. 
You see, smoke alarms, we, we, we don't put much attention on them because they simply are going to sound an alarm. Now, I want you to picture something that happens in your home. The smoke alarm goes off. You turn it off. You realize the battery's good, and then all of a sudden you start checking to see why the alarm went off. That's a normal response, right? And maybe you knew it was coming because, like me, you had something too hot on the stove. Man, our last apartment, every time I cooked a meal, the smoke alarm went off. It got so bad that the neighbor upstairs just knew that it's when I was cooking dinner because the smoke alarm would go off. So the smoke alarm goes off. It sends you a signal that, that you need to be concerned about something, and maybe you already knew it was brewing or maybe it caught you by surprise. What would be silly is this, if all of a sudden we just we, we put a chair next to the smoke alarm and someone comes over and says, well, what are you doing there? Well, I, I, just, I sit there most of the day just in case it goes off. Because it's gone off before, but th- I, I, that's where I choose to sit just in case something goes off. And for most of us, we treat fear this way because fear is this alarm. It's a signal that something goes off. And I don't mean to dismiss the fear. The fear is a reality. God has built us this way. So when we get a fear, it sends a signal to our mind to say, hey, you need to pay attention to something. Something's going on here. You're up too high on the ladder. You should be afraid at this point. You're going too fast on the freeway. There should be a little fear. This diagnosis is real. There should be a little fear. But for most of us, we take that fear and we choose to live there. And what the psalmist is simply asking us, put fear in its proper place. You dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. You dwell where God is. And as a follower of Christ, the fear, the place fear has in our life, is directly related to our proximity to the Most High. I would say this in closing, comfort and joy can be embraced in the midst of fear when we choose him as our dwelling place. So this morning, where are you dwelling? Whose shadow are you in this morning? Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shadow of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Church, you will not fear the terror of night nor the arrow that flies by the day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand may fall at your right-hand side, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. Because he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in your hands so that you will not strike your feet against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And because he loves me, says the Lord, because he loves me, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.